1: If we're talking about faking it till you make it in terms of um, acting the parts, maybe that's like a little bit like character type thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you are the person, like God, I really want to complain, but I'm going to pretend I'm the type of person that doesn't complain. Don't pretend. If, it, if faking it, then over a period of time, yeah. that will be. If you're the type of person that, um, you know, you want to get in the habit of something. Maybe that's, maybe that's a better precursor. If you're trying to get in the habit of something, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. But don't be unauthentic. We are here because
2: we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence.
1: How are you, Ben? I'm good, Patrick. Thank you.
2: (laughs) For those not watching the video, you are wearing a collared shirt. It's kind of freaking me out.
1: This is the first time ever, I think, (laughs) right?
2: I feel very undressed. Or or underdressed, rather. I feel very undressed. Whoa. That'd be a different podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay, so today we're going to do another uh, one of our favorite episodes of uh, Two Minute Drills, which is... Um, me going through my Instagram DMs and picking out a bunch of really good questions from listeners, uh, as a, uh, into on, on topics that sort of span the, the gap of, or the span, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Spectrum. Spectrum is a good word. Yeah. Span yeah. the spectrum of, of subjects that we hit on here. So, um, the, the constraint is that you're supposed to answer these in under two minutes. Sometimes that happens. You're actually, as we do this, you get better at that Um, without talking fast, yeah, without talking faster. So we'll see how we do today. First question. You've talked about the different training zones before, but can you talk about how to balance your training across each zone? Is one better than the other? Should, should we be hitting each zone throughout the week, et
1: cetera? So to put, um, a little context to what this question is asking for those that don't understand. Training zones mean they're they're loosely correlated to your, your heart rate. I shouldn't okay. say loosely. They're fairly correlated to your heart rate. So zone one is just like a little bit of activity. You're going for a walk. You're doing some gardening. Zone two is you're working. Um, but I actually like to use, instead of heart rates because it's different for everybody, I actually like to use um, like how comfortable you are h- holding a conversation. Yeah, right. So zone two would be Kind of, You're working, but you can still hold a normal conversation. There would not be no extra pauses. I would be in zone two right now, but I'm working. I'm sitting on a bike and I could still talk like this. Yep. Zone three is essentially you're working hard enough, but every now and then you'd have to take a few breaks and maybe that's like you're spitting out f- fractions of a sentence at a time. Yep. Zone four, if someone was to have a conversation, you'd only be answering in one to two word sentences with big breaks. You'd have to time it well. You're like, yeah. you know, <laughs> someone says like, you know, um, like you want to go grab some coffee after this? And you're like, you have to wait to be like, yes. yeah, you <laughs> it. It's just like, yeah, let's go to yeah. Pete's or yes, let's go yeah. to Starbucks. You'd have to like, um, you're working hard. Zone five is somebody asks you a question and you can't even answer, mm-hmm. right? There'd be no words that'd be coming out because you're just like, you're grasping for air. Yep. So the question becomes, I know I took a long time just okay. putting a parameters around that. Um, should you be varying it? how much time do you spend each one? The answer is um, it depends as probably everything, you know, um, if you're going to be training for a marathon, you're going to be spending a lot, lot, lot more time in zone two. If you're training to be a sprinter, you're going to be spending a lot, a lot, a lot more time in zone five. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're looking for overall health, yes, you want to span the gaps across all of them. But you want to spend the most time for the most bang of your buck in zone four. Zone four is essentially your lactic or anaerobic or aerobic. Put them all. Just go ahead and lump them on there. Doesn't? It's your threshold. Got it. So I know that there is like some people say anaerobic is one, aerobic is another. But it's really, it's kind of that like, um, it's not, I shouldn't, I should preface that. It's not your anaerobic. Anaerobic would be zone five. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it's that place where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. So Three, four, five times a week, you should be spending time in zone four. Now, the cool part about that, if you do CrossFit smartly, you're doing that already. Mm-hmm. You do it smartly. You're not coming out with guns a blazing, busting up, and falling to pieces right. at the two minute mark. You're sustainable, and you're working really, really, really hard for that six to sixteen minutes. Now, if you do CrossFit. But at the end, you're like, high fives. That was great. Like, And you never like go to a knee. You don't put your hands on your knees. You don't kind of like bend over out of breath. Maybe you're just kind of, you're not quite used to pushing it and you're in zone three. Mm-hmm. We want to try to edge our way up there. Even if you're spending that much time in zone four, now I'm starting to talk fast. <laughs> you want to spend time at the fringes of five and three and even spend some time in zone two. Mm. Get on a bike and spin real easy for 20 minutes. Got There's it. value in that. Got
2: it. Next question. If your significant other is also your coach, what can you do when there are conflicts? And I guess you could flip that because your your experience is probably if you coach. You are the coach, conflict. If it, yeah, regardless. Exactly.
1: is a coach-athlete relationship with a spouse. Yep. Um, how do you deal with conflicts? Well, um, I don't think you need to put the parameters around the, the the nature of the relationship. It's how do you deal with conflict? Right. That's, yeah, it's, in it's, the gym isn't any different. It's, right. Yeah, what we do inside the gym echoes in eternity. <laughs> so, um, so the idea behind that is it's normal um, people smarts, emotional intelligence, but further down the road and you get to a little more specific thing called tactful conflict resolution. So no matter how people smart you are, no matter how emotionally aware you are of things, there's still going to be um, conflict going can present itself and knowing the appropriate steps on how to solve that conflict tactfully is what you want to put in place. So a lot of things go... It's, it's really, it's kind of a step-by-step process. The first thing is distrust your natural gut reaction, mm. which is if there's conflict, you, hormonal response, fight or flight, you're gonna clam up. You're gonna want to defend yourself. They're wrong, you're right. It's like you have to move past that. You just have to. You have to say, here it is, I'm starting to feel it, mm-hmm. and you have to get past that feeling. The next thing you wanna do, literally in order, in your head is say, okay, there's that feeling. Now what I'm gonna do is I'm going to listen And put the right adjective before or after that you want. Sincere, active, aggressive, passionate, whatever you want to put in those. But really listen. Don't do what most people do, which is formulate your response. AKA, now you're going to be debating. If you're formulating your response while they're talking, you're not trying to feel their side. You're trying to combat, here's my response, here's my argument, here's what I'm going to say. We need to move past that. So sincerely or um, authentically listen. Listen. Um the next one is um from there is the first words that come out of your mouth it are thank you. Like it'll just diffuse the situation because mm-hmm. they'll be like, whoa. I thought we were going to be fighting. I thought we were going to have this conflict. I thought we were going to be going at each other. And you're saying thank you. And what thank you says is like, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I didn't realize you were feeling that way. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. That's something I've been working on. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Um, We can now be better because of this. Thank you for dot, dot, dot. And now we're on the same side trying to find this solution together. The next thing you want to do is involve them. What do you think? So really simple. It's tactful conflict resolution. It doesn't change if you're husband, wife, if you're coach athlete, if you're parent, teacher, boss, employee, or if you're strangers on the street, it's all the same deal.
2: Does it, does it often, or has it often felt harder though with a, with a significant other or somebody
1: you're that close to? Cause it, your family makes it harder.
2: That, yeah, that's, and For that's sure. the question is like, yes, cause that, cause I totally get it. And then immediately I think the last time this happened to me, I did a really bad job of it. Yeah. And it's, and for whatever reason, it's because it's the, the people you're closest to, this is the hardest, yep.
1: right? Yeah. So if, um, so what will end up happening is if it's somebody that you, um, really respect or something like, uh, like, or not, uh, an authority figure, you're more likely in real life to kind of default back right. to it. But when it's a family member, like you're on equal level footing. Yeah. So all that's happening is you're going like, no, I can beat them. <laughs> that's all that's happening. And if it's the opposite, if you're the superior, then you're like, well, they're not not—they're not going to push back on me. Right. So it's like – it's the only reason that happens is because it's equal level footing. It's right. equal playing field. Yeah. So now the first step just gets exaggerated. The first step is like, oh, you're attacking me? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to beat you down That's on this. Exactly the defenses is. go up even yeah. higher. Yep. So – it doesn't change. You just have it's to be just, more aware of step yeah, one.
2: Yep. Okay, next question. I'm a registered nurse, but it's not something I'm truly passionate about anymore. I've realized that I want to be a firefighter, but it's going to take me some time to get there. My question is, how do I find happiness in doing a job I dislike and that brings me stress and unhappiness?
1: What a person. Like, they're going from a nurse to a firefighter. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, Very cool. Um, okay, so the question was, uh, how do I... Yeah, n- knowing
2: that. knowing that... Where she wants to go is a little yep. bit unattainable today. Uh, it's a she, but okay. in this case, um, only because I because I know. Okay, um, but it could very well easily be a, a male. Um, I know where I want to go, but I'm not there yet. And so, in the meantime, while I figure out how to get there, oh. I'm in a place that like I uh, that stay causes in the job me to be miserable.
1: Or yeah, should I...
2: or or, or sh- maybe should I or what do I do knowing right. that I am in this thing and knowing yeah. that this thing isn't going to make me happy and I have a sense of what's going to make me happy. Um, okay, so.
1: If it was my wife, her answer would be leave now, Mm -hmm. leave the job. Now you're better off being, um, you know, adding some other different stressors to your life maybe you don't know exactly where the paycheck's coming from maybe you don't you can't take the vacation that you want to maybe you have to downsize your apartment or get a cheaper car but what you're doing on an everyday basis is so freaking important to right. your fulfillment and happiness and who you feel you are as a person. you cannot continue to go on like that it 's eating you alive you don 't know if you have another month on this planet or another millennium on this planet you got to like make every day count my answer would be like yes exactly that's exactly what i'd say but man it's hard right that would be mine like yeah yeah, like i i'd like to think that that's what i would do but i'm a little bit more cautious i'm not as passionate as she is um as Heather is. Yes, Heather is. Yes. As Heather is. Um, so I think that what I might do is um try to get a little bit of ducks in a line mm. as quickly as I possibly could, whether that is saving some money, whether that is doing those things I said, like I would look for a different apartment. I'd be able to like, I need to. You know, I say that, but I actually did that. I, I was in this situation. I was working a job I did not like. I when I it flipped in my head, I was like, wow, I really don't like this. Um I decided to move on, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of, doing, but I didn't move. I gave, I gave my company a six week notice. Yeah. So I do play, I kind of hedge the bets a little yeah. bit. I gave my company a six week notice instead of the normal, like I'm leaving tomorrow because right. they wanted it. And that's when I left and eventually became, you know, in the, in, uh, uh, came into the fitness world. Yeah. So, um, I do not think this person, if the fire, fire thing ever pans out, doesn't pan out. And that should not be the litmus test of, should I move on or not? regardless of whether that's there, you cannot say in a job that you do not like, you are not passionate about, that you do want to move on from, that's stressing you out and you do, like you got to move on. You just got to figure out what's the lead time for that. Are you going to give yourself a year, six months or six days? You got to make that choice. And don't say it'll happen soon. Like make it specific. Give yourself, it's arbitrary, but a deadline.
2: Totally. And the thing I think about there is, One of the things that if you look at people who we culturally consider like really big risk takers, like Richard Branson, for an example, right, or Elon Musk. One of the things it, it looks like they take a lot of risk, but actually they do the the ones who do it well are the ones kind of like you said, where you gave a six week notice instead yep. of a two week. They do everything possible to mitigate the risk Yeah, because they're not risk takers. They're they're not risk takers kind of like uh, jump off the bridge and figure it out. It's I'm going to, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that the risk is minimized. And then when I, when I do that, I'm comfortable to take the 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 one step necessary to, to it's jump. It's what we the talk about
1: all the time, right? Like what's inside your control. Like you, it's 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 you don't need to like just jump off the bridge and hope yeah. that you literally like grow wings on the way down. Yeah. You can start building your wings before you take the leap. Yeah, this is not a, so you can start to, as you said, which I love, like mitigate the risk. Put everything you can that's under your control. And do what you can there.
2: Yeah. And I guess the first part of that is, is verbalize and recognize where that.
1: Well, they're already a, a, yeah. a, a long step away. Most yeah. people. Kudos to her because most people just stay in the job and don't even realize how miserable they are. Yeah. They've never found that other passion. In like uh,
2: In a previous episode, Ben mentioned he allows coaches to date members, saying it helps uh, create a tighter-knit community. What is his approach to coach- uh, coaches dating other coaches? And how would he handle a situation where one of these relationships ends and gets ugly and whatever that means, um, you know, uh, drama, verbal arguments, yeah. awkward social media, etc.?
1: Okay, so first a... Um a clarifier, a tighter knit community because not because these people are dating each other because they're going to date each other anyway. (laughs) That's going to happen. You're not going to stop because you have a policy or a contract in place. So the reason it creates a tighter community is because now they don't feel like they need to go behind your back and do it. That's what creates a tighter community. So the second piece of that is, so these two people are dating and now they're going to break up and now there's lots of drama, social media, people acting badly, whatever it might be. So what you do is no difference. This is no different than if um, if, if it was any other thing that was causing drama. It doesn't matter what the reason is. What you should be doing is analyzing your people. And the way you do that is through the filter of your core values mm. and their performance in the job. So the performance of the job, and this is stolen from Gino Wickman and EOS stuff, is the performance of the job is do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? Do they get it? Do they understand the role? Do they understand the importance of the job and where it fits in the business? Do they want it? Do they wake up on Monday mornings excited to go to work? And do they have the capacity to do it? Both the skill set and the time requirements to be able to do the job well. Okay, that's not really what's in question here. The other piece, which is equally as important to that, in my world, way more important to that, is how do they fit culturally inside of your community? Mm -hmm. Now, if your community is all, like, your um, a paparazzi, like your company is, um, you are literally, well, you feet, your drama is a part of your business. Yeah. Like that's a good thing. If you are the editor of us weekly, like, or, um, TMZ, TMZ, yeah. like, okay, that might be part. It might be one of your core values is embracing drama. Attracted like, to drama. Yeah. Attracted to drama. Like then this is no big deal. Like guess what, like this is what right. you signed up for. Yeah. This is what you're looking for. It's the opposite in ours, right? right? We, this is not what we want at all. So what you do is you create the filter of what these core values are, what do you want your culture to represent, and then you feed these people through that filter in the same way you did, good, fair, or poor across your core values. And if any of them, so let's say this person had like, Um, community like as one of their core values or like no complaining or positive attitudes or um, supportive environment and this was happening well then you feed this person through this filter of supportive environment is one of our core values how are they representing our core value really poorly okay then the first now you have a sit down talk with them. You're not representing this. You have a 30-day notice. This is strike one. You have a 30-day notice. You have another conversation in 30 days. This is strike two. It's not happening. You're not representing our culture, our values. If this happens, if we see this again in 30 days, you're no longer a member of the team. Mm-hmm. Documented, so you have the it going along. And what's going to end up happening is seven, this is so arbitrary, I'm making this up, but seven times out of 10, they're going to leave on their own. Yeah. They're going to hear the first warning and be like, whoa, this what? Yeah, And then you hear the second warning and go like, okay, writing's on the wall. This place isn't for me. And they're not going to blame themselves. They're going to blame you. Of course. And then it's going to resolve itself anyway. If it doesn't, now you have this documented path of like, remember that fight you had in the parking lot? Remember how this showed up on social media? Remember what you said in uh, the coach's meeting? Like dot, dot, dot. Yeah.
2: And that reminds me of the conversation we had about uh, the five Ps of decision-making where the, the you know, because really what you're talking about is kind of uh, principles, right? Yes. And then it doesn't matter the details because you've already made the decision, right? It's you've done. already decided that yeah. these Who are- Who are you? What do you right? stand for? If they don't- So stay- it doesn't matter, like you don't have to make the decision like, oh, that's another social media post or right. like that was a oh, thing. It's done. You already made the decision. Then it's just acting in accordance with those principles, right? Next question. I like Nothing's new here, right? We just kind of- right. it's, it's, it's... Would you like CrossFit to be an Olympic sport? No love it why and and aren't people trying to do this yes okay maybe a little bit of context there because i actually don't know too much
1: about it okay so With a, um, like functional fitness something or other so olympic sport like um it's a finite game it's like known rules known regulations known every like. so what you'd have to do is eventually turn this into if it was to be that right because otherwise what we have is like the 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 thing is that the sport is always different every single year. Yep. So there's going to be this kind of like um grayness to it. That doesn't that doesn't lead itself well in my opinion to what's tested at the Olympics. Right. This should be a world championships the way it is now. But if you had this like who is the governing body? Is it CrossFit? Well, CrossFit mm-hmm. then can like determine who I I don't want to get into that, but yeah. it's like essentially like I want it to be um, remain as this unknown is unknowable, and I don't think that leads well to the test at the Olympics because mm-hmm. one year you're gonna have things that kind of lean one way, and next year you have things lean another way, and gold medals on the line. And, it's and every like, four years, it's, it's yeah. just like, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't. It, would it be cool? Absolutely, yeah. would it help my business? Absolutely, like, like, uh hundredfold, like it'd be an amazing <laughs> yeah. thing for us. <clears throat> Having said that, for the integrity of what it stands for, I don't think it leads itself well, right from the qualification process up to, cause you're gonna have qualifiers, yeah. right? So then the qual, it just, I've thought about it and it just doesn't lead itself well to, now if somebody can further define better I can't think of a sport at the Olympics that follows this. So they're either like sports that have world records. What is, no, you're going to run 100 yards. You're going to swim 200 meters. You're going to um, play a 60-minute basketball game. You know, like it's all kind of done. Well, now you have this thing with like, um or you have sports that it's like you beat somebody right like wrestling you start right. in the
2: same place and you end
1: in the whoever gets it's just the all these knowns yeah. like it's all like yeah. everything it it's all known it doesn't change from year to year well in our sport it's too it's it's too variable mm. so now we have a handstand pushup but now we're going to do it um to a, your feet over a line now we're going to do it where it's strict now we're going to do it to a deficit now we're going to do it with no wall and i think it would just leads to too much Debate around the test, and it would take away from the actual like, um. Who won? Mm-hmm. You know, the actual like the credibility goes to the athletes. Next
2: question: Does nutrition or macro intake differ on um, off or recovery days versus training ga- training days, and if so, how?
1: So different athletes do this differently. Some athletes do vary their um, their um, macros and total calorie intake on rest days, it being lower. I am not a a proponent of that, but I'm not saying like some of my athletes do it. So, but I do believe that um, recovery days, you're trying to recover. If you happen to get somewhere into a nutritional deficit, like you're not going to be recovering. So I think it's kind of nice the steady across. Now, the difference would be like if you eat so much because you train so much that you're eating like, you know, 4,800 calories or 7,000 calories because you're training seven hours a day and you're not doing anything at all that day well then that might be excessive and right. that's not gonna help you recover either right so we want to be in the ballpark um but I, it, it, dot 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 it depends okay
2: how does an average crossfit athlete train for a triathlon does this uh does the assault bike help with biking do you do uh wads as prescribed do you just use them as strength training um do you follow a regular triathlon training schedule or create a crossfit oriented specific training schedule
1: how long is the triathlon and what's your goal in the triathlon? So if the goal, if you're going to be running a sprint triathlon your goal is to finish it, to enjoy it and have a good Saturday, you don't change much at all. You basically do your CrossFit stuff. Maybe you get in the pool a little bit more than you yeah. normally would, but essentially you're going to be fit enough to kind of finish that thing. If you're um, going to be doing a sprint distance triathlon and your paycheck depends on it because you're a yeah. professional, yeah. it's going to change it drastically. Five, six days a week, you're going to be doing swim, bike, run, a combination of swim, bike, run. And then two or three or four or five days a week, you might be adding in some CrossFit stuff. Now, that stuff is going to be a lot more power-based because it's a speed event in that, essentially, right? You're to, Those guys are running six-minute miles. Right. You know, they're kind of going fast. Um, they're biking 24, 25, 26 miles an hour. They're actually in a sprint. They'd be going faster than that, 27, 28 miles an hour. Kind of the same Questions need to be asked if you just kind of flip it. But now it's the longer distance, right? If you're compete to complete an Ironman, you're you need to put in the work. Yeah, you're going to be training ten to twenty hours a week in swim, bike, run, and then the CrossFit stuff is then supplemental to keep you from getting hurt, keeping you strong, keeping some muscle, all that stuff. So it really, really depends. If the, um, the kind of easy answer is put like on one end, um, of a spectrum, put compete to complete. So you're there to have fun and sprint triathlons. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end is both distance and importance to you. And as you get closer to importance and distance, CrossFit needs to necessarily take a back seat, and the CrossFit training needs to come up a little bit. So just, I'm sorry, triathlon training needs to come up a little bit.
2: Got it. It's funny. I, almost every one of these questions you could begin with. It depends. Of course. And then you get right? the answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if okay. you were asking me these for right,
1: you, right. I could do a very specific yeah. question. Answer. Uh,
2: next question. I am struggling to pick between two different degrees uh, that somewhat deal with the same area of study. How do I know I am picking degree A because I'm more passionate about the material and not because it is easier? Uh, degree B degree B makes more money and it'll be harder work to complete. I want to make sure that laziness is not a reason for pursuing degree B. Uh, I also don't want money to be the driving factor to choose degree B. So it's kind of I, a little bit like a math problem.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, a squared plus B squared plus C squared. So if you take the Pythagorean theorem and actually divide it by. Okay, so um, it's a cool question. This person's obviously... Um, has a lot of self-awareness because mm-hmm. they're, I don't want to take the easy road. Yeah. They're actually like literally saying like I purposely, these people have to be cautious though, right? Because these are people that end up being investment bankers and right. hating their lives when right. they're um, 55 years old because they're... Because
2: they made the smart choice, but maybe not the... They made
1: the, the choice that seemed smart at the time. Right. So here's um, a Venn diagram of three circles and they're, they're all overlapping In the middle is um, what we're going to get to. The first circle represents your passion. So, what are you most passionate about? and it sounds like obviously this one is the um the option, whatever it was B. Um, the next one is skill sets like what are you good at? Mm-hmm. what do you um, what can you um, be world class in? And the third one is where's is there economic opportunity? And where those three things overlap is your is what you should be chasing for a vocation that is the best thing for you. You love it, you're good at it, and you can make money at it. Now, it sounds so obvious when mm-hmm. you lay it out like that. But if you think of it the other way, what most people do is they go somewhere else. So maybe I love baseball, but I can't hit a curveball. Mm-hmm. I can't hit anything. So you can make a ton of money, and I love it, but I suck at it. <laughs> it doesn't mean that's, that's not the thing I should be chasing. Right. Okay, farming. Um, ant farming. Man, I'm so passionate about ant farming and I am the best ant farmer in the world. Dude, like how are you going to monetize that at all? Like Mm -hmm. you can't do it. And you take the other things like um, investment banking and I am a math wizard. Like I can make a ton of money and I'm really good at this. But God, I hate being in an office. I just love, I love being in the mountains. Like, okay. Where do those three things overlap? And it sounds like for this person, it's pretty clear which of those ones are. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about which is hard and which is easy. It might be easy beca- for you because you like it you so much yeah. and you're talented at it. That's a good thing. So double down on your strengths. Don't... So the thing here is like find the overlap and I think that that kind of like surmises. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and I would just, I would just add that if, something's, if something you really, if you care about it, if you're passionate about it, you'll find a way to make it more challenging. It's not yeah, easy for sure, forever. Yeah. It's easy today until you learn more and then it gets
1: harder. Right? Yeah, so like... Um, so I, I, just, I, I wouldn't I, say that, I, I, that that's I'm the, really good at basketball. I'm the high scorer on my team. I've been the MVP all along. Well, great. Yeah, that's, that's in your AAU league. Now like go play for Duke. Level up a little bit. Yeah, now yeah. that you're going to play for Duke. It's like, not easy. Yeah. Okay, good. You, you're, you're a starter. Good. Now you got drafted in the NBA. Good. Now how are you? <laughs> okay. Are you an all-star? Okay, are you um, the MVP? Are you a Hall of Famer? Are you the best of all time? Like, level up. Yep.
2: Next question. I recently attended the 10-year affiliate gathering, and while there are quite a few long-term... CrossFit. CrossFit, sorry, affiliate CrossFit affiliate, affiliate gathering. Uh, there are quite a few long-term affiliate <laughs> owners. The reality is that many of them, myself included, are still struggling. Many are working other jobs to supplement their income, or working crazy long hours in the gym to make it work. I'd be interested in hearing your and Ben's take on what might be the biggest reason that is happening.
1: I believe it's because people are continuing 10 years ago. If you got into the game and you enjoyed it and you were passionate about it, you were bringing enough to the table because, um, people would find you because there wasn't that many other opportunities. Um, if somebody wanted this type of training, they needed to come to you. We were in, um, it was rare. It was like, it was a very special thing to yeah. find somebody else that did CrossFit at the time. Yeah, it was a small pond, real small pond. And people, we—I mean, you remember, we, I used to drive to Connecticut. I, I mean, yeah, I used to drive two and a half hours on a Saturday to train with people, right? And then drive back, yeah, because that's if you wanted to find people like that, like find people like you, that's what you did. Well, it's really different now just forget about the CrossFit affiliates, which are now um, 15,000 of them. If you add in other similar training methodologies, I mean, it's probably double that. I don't know what the number is, but if you include like any any of those things. Hit gyms, boot camps, yeah, functional exactly. fitness places. yep, It's not hard for people to find this thing. Yeah. So your competitive advantage has gone away. Yeah. So what you need to do is now you need to run this thing. You need to find another competitive advantage. So what is your true niche? Who are you really? This is what I think is the biggest, the biggest I think this is what's happening. People opened up and they opened up and because they opened up, people came to them. And now you have to run it as a business and you truly have to run it as a business. Um, And if you don't, just like every small, it's not the CrossFit thing, every small business that is not run well Fails. They go away. That's why the failure rate for businesses is like normally it's like two and a half years or something like that. The number of businesses that are in existence, not CrossFit fail, it's the number of small businesses that are in existence 10 years later is a fraction of what it is. It's somewhere around 10 or 15%. I'm making that number up, but it fits well on a podcast (laughs) because no one else goes and researches it, but we'll call it 10 or 15%. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah, right. If you say it confidently enough. (laughs) So it's not unique to us. What any business needs to do is become better at operating the business. So there is so much we could talk about in terms of that. But it, to me, that is the biggest thing is like, don't just be the person, the food, the foodie. I love food and I'm going to mm-hmm. open up a restaurant. Well, if you do that, that passion play will pull you along for 24 months, mm-hmm. for sure. Like mm-hmm. it gets to your passion alone. Well, then all of a sudden the grind of the business starts, you get frustrated, you're not making money. People are leaving and then all of a sudden now it becomes like you have to be able to operate a real business, not just love food. Totally.
2: Yep. Uh, next question. What are your thoughts on faking it till you make it?
1: I um, This is a great question. I <laughs> actually, I know they're all good questions, but this one's like, uh, I think you have to put parameters around it because I think it's, it's good and bad. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about faking it till you make it in terms of Um, acting the parts. Maybe that's like a little bit like character type thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you are the person like, God, I really want to complain, but I'm going to pretend I'm the type of person that doesn't complain. Don't pretend. If if faking it, then over a period of time, Mm -hmm. that will be, if you're the type of person that, um, you know, you want to get in the habit of something, maybe that's that's a better precursor. If you're trying to get in the habit of something, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. But don't be unauthentic. Don't pretend to be someone you're not, especially when it comes to something like knowledge. Mm-hmm. Don't be in a room full of people and be afraid to like ask the dumb questions. Just pretend like you're going along with it. Don't, um, if you're the CFO of a company, this can make it really off. If you're the CFO of a company, don't fake like you got the numbers all down. You know what the question? Don't be afraid to ask the questions because it's going to come back to bite you in the ass really big, as opposed to just like. Maybe for a real quick, like, hey guys, I actually don't know what a SaaS business is. Can you just? I don't you actually don't know what um, you know. Average lifetime value is. I don't really get how do what what's how do you measure customer acquisition costs? Like, that's to, don't fake like you know those things. If you don't know them in terms of the business thing, like call it out. But in terms of like, if you're trying to be like the hardest worker and you're not, like fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Just be the first one in the office and the last to leave until you actually are that person. Right. Our next question. A little bit of a long, uh,
2: long question, but I liked it so much that I wanted to include as much as I could. There are two CrossFit boxes in our town, a big one with around 300 members and a wee one with uh-huh. around 40 members. Big has a better facility and more classes. It has a head coach who struggles with delegating tasks, upscaling the business and growing the community. Personal goals, um, per athlete are requested at the beginning of membership, but never revisited. And we often don't know the names of the people we train with. So that's the big one. We box, um, which I I would like to think that the gym's actually called Webox, but it's not. Webox has less classes and four coaches teaching groups of four to six athletes, so much smaller. Uh, We all know each other's names and some of each person's goals. I've trained at the Big Box for 10 months and have lost zero weight and increased some power. I also started training at Webox last month and thanks to more intensive coaching have made enormous progress. So Uh. the question is, is it okay to be a member at both boxes or should I focus or should I choose and focus my efforts on one?
1: So the answer, it, to me the answer would be is it okay? Absolutely, of course it's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The answer is yes, it's okay. Yeah. Now, if it becomes like I I should make a decision because I'm spending you know three four five hundred dollars a month on memberships, um, I don't feel like I'm investing into each community and I need to make a decision. Well then my um, my answer would be with go with your gut. Yeah, for sure. So if you like the part of being part of the big brand yep. because you were proud to say I'm a member of CrossFit XYZ, then okay, go with that. You've increased your power a little bit. Or if it's more like no, it's really to me about these people that are investing in the community. I know everyone's name. I'm making tons of progress. Uh, go with that one. But go with your gut. And I think most people would go with the the box mm. because they're making you're seeing more progress. You, this person seems to have value the attention that they give, they value the um, interaction, the one-on-one, the progress, the attention to community. So it seems like from this really high level question that that's what they value more because that's what they're pulling out. So it seems like that's where they should be going. Um, But if you feel like you're getting benefits from both, like there's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. unless you really want to be a part of something. If you really want to be a part of something, well, you don't have two families you have one family because you want to be a part of that one family. Last question for today,
2: can you make can you make it to the CrossFit games while taking no supplements? And if so, what are the pros and cons if so? And I'm I'm reading into it a little bit, but I think the question might come down to a lot of people, a lot of athletes in the last couple of years have gotten popped for performance enhancing drugs oh, and a lot of I them I
1: not Wow. Yeah, and
2: a lot of them point to like, oh, I took a supplement that had something that I didn't think it had or something yeah. like that. So I, I'm, I might
1: be reading into that too much, mm. um, but but you tell me uh, what you hear in that Okay, question. can you, I did not make that leap, but um, can you make it to the games without taking supplements? Yes, 100%, absolutely. So. I mean, you can make, you can improve your performance by 20% year over year at, depending on where you're starting. Like yeah. you can definitely do that. No supplement in the world, legal supplements in the world is going to come close to that. They're going to add one, two, three percent at best. So the answer is yes, 100%. No supplement in the world is going to outdo. We have the five factors of health, yep. Right supplements is not on there, right? Like nothing, no supplement in the world is going to outdo how you're sleeping, how you're training your mental state and stress, what you're doing for recovery and your nutrition. Like mm-hmm. nothing is going to come even close to those five factors. So 100% you can pros and cons to both. I guess a big con would be that your supplements might be tainted, right? You might get popped for something you didn't even know you were taking. That's a major con. Because
2: supplements are generally like really unregulated and...
1: Yeah. So what you want to do is this is one when, when one of my athletes signs on a deal with a, um, a company, we put um, a fair amount of due... I'm not going to say crazy. We don't go crazy. Um, we don't have those type of resources, but we do pay attention. We do put some due diligence into the manufacturing process and is there cross-contamination. If they do manufacture... Um, cause like they might be taking a clean product, but the company, this has happened in the process before the company also manufactures non-clean products mm. and then they use the same mixing yeah. bowls. They're humongous. Yeah. I mean, it's not a kitchen bowl. Yeah. These the mixing vats, and if they don't have a good cleaning process, that's enough to taint somebody to pop for a positive test. Um, so we got to make sure that, the the efficacy is there on the manufacturer side as well. So that's a definite con. Yeah. Um, The pros, though, are you can get benefits from supplements. I mean, you can. It's hard for these athletes to get in the right macros and the nutrients without supplementing because real food is just hard to eat that much when you're training six hours a day. Right.
2: Got it. All right, my man. That was a two-minute drill. Thank you to everybody who sends me questions. Thank you, everybody, to send me these questions today. And we will see everyone next week.
1: Thanks, Pat.
2: You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time.